0: Abin, yeah, this is the Black Country blokes tuning about tuning the facts <laughs> about mental health, disability, and life in general. Here with me, Kev Dylan, and my partner in crime, as always, Lee Catman. Now, today we're going to be talking about law, really, and the rights that us blokes do have, especially around divorce and separation. So we'll begin, you guys to introduce yourself in a few seconds to and spell the wonderful work that you're doing takes But as always, we'll have to start with our gratitude. And me and my Kate, uh, we, um, my wife is our 10 year anniversary the other day. So we went to Burma, we had a lovely meal. We're lucky enough to go out for a meal and yeah, I'm grateful for the, the te- well, we've been with each for 12 years, but 10 years happily married. Most of it happy anyway. What are you grateful for?
2: Oh, I had a, a fantastic appointment for work. Um, there's a gentleman who'd had a, had a stroke and I'll talk him around, um, an electric wheelchair and he's, uh, he's, he's been, in his manual wheelchair with someone pushing him now for almost just over a year um and he's been looking out his window he's got these massive windows in his house where he can look out and see the bottom of his garden but he's not been able to go down there on his own and and he's he's a gardener; he loves to potter in his shed and do all that and he had this wheelchair and he went out and uh, managed to take it down there and yeah, just be out there with no one else. And his son took me to the side after the appointment and just thanked me. And I just think it's days like that that really appreciate it. I'm sure you have days like that with your two jobs as well. That yeah, just make it uh, not not more worthwhile because it's worthwhile doing anyway. But makes you appreciate it more what you do.
0: There you go. What are you grateful for today? Who wants to kick it off?
3: I'll kick it off. I'm grateful for my family today. um yeah, so my husband's still at work. Um, so, yeah, grateful for um, for him and for my parents who have got my two kids this evening. So they're helping out. We, to make we'll sure thank them we as can well. Be Same can be, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, very grateful for my family and having them around me.
4: I think I'm probably grateful for working from home today. I was
1: tired this week.
4: <laughs> so it's nice to just have a bit of a lie in and not have to do the commute. In the morning, so especially, especially with all the road wrecks, so. oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm great, I'm grateful for that. Small, small mercies, but I'm, I'm
0: grateful. grateful. But that's why we start with a gratitude list because we started off uh, when we did our support group through the lockdown, and it was always as you we've been bloody terrible. <laughs> oh, well, and then would go, What are you grateful for? What am I going to be grateful for? Well, can you breathe? Can you swallow when you get to the toilet? Does it flush? And well, yeah, I mean. The small victories are often the biggest victories because when they're taken away from you, it's surprising how rubbish a day is. It's mm. remembering even the darkest day, there's something, even if it's just you're alive and kicking. So who's going to start? What exactly do you do for Higgs? What? what?
3: Should I, I kick yeah. off then? Oh, yeah, um, your name <laughs> and,
2: and job <laughs> role. Next. And job role.
3: So my name's Ryan Gray. This is Sean Ed Fitt, Um, and we're both lawyers. We work at Higgs and have worked at Higgs for a number of years in the family team. And Higgs is a law firm that's been around and been local to here. We're based up at the waterfront since 1875. And in all of that time, we've been working with individuals businesses, families, um, and sort of growing with them and working with them and um, helping them with any legal problems that they've had. Um, I've worked in family law now for, gosh, it's getting on for 15 years, um, there or thereabouts, and specialised in working with people who are either at the start of their relationship and working with their money and kind of protecting their wealth, um, or at the end of their relationships dividing it once they've divorced or once mm. they've um, left a cohabiting relationship. That's,
0: that's me. I mean, Higgs are great. I mean, they've raised money for seven years, have they're doing the sponsored walk? And yeah. It's great to you know people back in the community. So for that, we're always grateful. How about yourself?
4: So I specialise in children matters. I've been at Higgs for seven years, been in the law for 13 years. So I've done a mix. I've done seven years of Public law, representing parents, and now I've done seven years of private law, representing parents, trying to help them resolve arrangements for their children after separation.
0: The separation is always tough, isn't it? And so we're saying off air, Every every call has got two sides, doesn't it? And you often hear it from, like, in the pub or at work. And unfortunately, with a relationship comes feelings and emotions, and I hear it so much here, and Kev she's had an affair she's taken the house and I can't see the kids that's the emotion around the incident isn't it mm. and we we're talking about our affair wasn't we saying to you she's the baddie, I'm the goodie but the true fact is the relationship is end you now what what we're gonna do about it isn't it yeah and, that,
3: and that's the that's the tricky thing in in our roles really because you know yes we're here to advise people who come to us with that with the problems after the relationship breakdown but you have to start with understanding the emotions and how they're feeling about that breakdown because it can really color their decision making their thought processes and it's trying to get to the bottom of that and work with the individual we don't so much work for people we really work with people um, and try and make sure that we understand those emotions so that we can empower them to make the best choices for them um, following a a separation. I think that's probably true in terms of the children as well, if not more important, actually.
4: Yeah, I I think what's important is recognising that regardless of what your client might be saying to you about their version of events, as you say, there will always Mm. be another side to that coin. And what's really important in our roles is to not completely buy into what your client is telling you Mm because it would be so easy to lead them astray and give them the wrong advice if you took everything that they were telling you at face value. Mm. And I think what's really valuable about what we do to help people is to take a step back from that and say, well, okay, if that is true, and if, you know, she's had an affair, for Mm. example, or whatever the case may be, how does that impact on the children, though? Does it impact on the children? Well, that might make it difficult for the two of you to sit down around the kitchen table and have a chat or meet up for a coffee somewhere and try and have a conversation about the children because the emotions are so raw the reality is does it mean that the children shouldn't get the opportunity to spend time with her or him either parent grandparents uncles aunts whoever it may be the answer to that will almost always be no it doesn't mean that and it shouldn't mean that and it's about helping the parents to find a way to you know, not ignore those issues, because mm. we can't pretend like they're not there and that people aren't hurt and are feeling pain and resentment, etc. But putting them into one field, into one box to deal with over here, and separately, how do we deal with the child arrangements? And, and sometimes I feel separating those things off can be really, really helpful, mm. if so, we can.
0: So it's a criminal thing. Mommy and Daddy aren't in love anymore. We're not going to live together it's when the children are weaponized isn't it
1: yeah
0: and when once again there's bad mommies and bad daddies mm. but it's when they want to be in that child's life there's no risk of harm no risk and you're thinking it's then cruel when they're not allowed to see that person
4: yeah
0: and i think that's when the, once again the feelings you have no right to take away that so our relationship should stay strong even though our relationship is dissolved
4: yeah Yeah, I mean, I think what I tend to find, which is why we're now offering um, a specific service around father's rights, because Mm. in my experience, what I find a lot of is fathers in particular coming to speak to me and not really understanding what their rights Mm. and responsibilities, and those two things go hand in hand, what their rights actually are. So it's always helpful to put a father on the right footing by saying, well, actually, legally, you're on a level playing field. No one's got any higher rights than anyone else. So now we've put that to bed, let's talk about the practicalities. What, what can we do to try and agree this amicably if we can? And that's
2: always the starting yeah, point. What well, do you think um, there is, and <coughs> like in, 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 when I see it, it's always the father that seems to be fighting to see their children. Why do you think that, is, is that correct? Or is that just kind of what's put out there?
3: Well, I think as you were saying, I mean, that's, that's really the reasons why we've had a focus and Charlotte's had a focus on father's rights because there, there's a need there, there's a, a lack of understanding about what father's roles, rights and responsibilities are.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of a lot of fathers coming to me and saying, well, she is mum and she has told mm-hmm. me She is mum, and so this is what's happening. And I have to try and unpick that a bit and and sort of look behind that and explain why that doesn't make any sense. So that's one reason. I think another reason that I typically come across is it's the it's the age-old father is the breadwinner, mother Mm -hmm. is the homemaker, and those those roles still being quite prevalent in society and so i think there's a lot of you know mum will stay at home take extended maternity leave she might do a part time mm. job and this isn't in all cases but in a lot of cases this is this is the way the family is structured and so i think when it comes to a separation there might be guilt around you know, father wanting to spend more time with the children and what that means in terms of mother's role. Mm. If if she's been mother and perhaps has done a part time job, but her whole existence has been fulfilling that role as mother, Mm. then you can almost understand why it might feel, it might make you feel quite guilty to then say, well, we're going to change that now. And the children are going to spend, for example, half the time with me. Mm. And that really poses a threat to a lot of mothers and, and what that means in terms of, well, who am I now?
1: Mm-hmm. If
4: the kids are with Dad half the time, what, what do I do with my time mm-hmm. and, and who am I?
1: My,
2: my sister found that recently because <coughs> she separated um, amicably um, and they sort out the arrangements, but it is very much, you used to be in range your kids all the time, and then all yeah. of a sudden they're gone, you know, yeah. and you go, okay, well, what do I do with this now? Well,
4: this is yeah, it. It's I mean right? Someone said to me the other day, um, I didn't have children to only spend half my time with them. I won't spend all my time with them. Understandably so. Mm. But you've got two people who are no longer living together who both feel exactly the same way. And so it's about sorting that out, trying to come to some sort of solution that everybody can work with. Ideally, that's the ideal scenario because that has to be better for the children Mm. in almost
2: all cases. And it has to be balanced with, um, well, you have to work still. Yeah. You know, so the the hours that you know, split between each other, you know, no doubt at that point, potentially both parents, if they're not already working, both have to go back to work. Yeah, so you're lessening the time that you can spend with the kids. Yeah. The kids obviously get a school as well if they're at that age. So it's, yeah, it's all lessening, isn't it? And working out then the balance yeah. between the hours that are left over it from is, doing all that. It's
4: very much a domino effect. So it won't just be about the the arrangements for the children, like you say, it will then be about, well, having to go back to work, if not already working, perhaps working less, if you're working Mm -hmm. overtime to take on um, more care of the children to enable the other person to go out to work. And so it really is an all encompassing um, issue that needs to be gently unpicked if possible and put back together.
2: Can I just add? Actually, you can. If anyone's got questions, you can write us a Facebook message, and we can bring it up. and We can obviously ask. Well, well we've got two experts in the room. <laughs> Make like, use. But if you have been
0: like a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, yeah, then you've broke down. But then you've got to go and pay for your bills of your new home. Mm. You know what I mean? That that's the sort other of flip side, isn't it? You've you've had to go to work in full time. Mm-hmm. And then say if me and Kate split up, me and my wife, uh, and we get separate houses and all this. What also that, that was my family. That was my nan's house, and it's our house now. We're both on the deed and whatever. If we left now, what would say? I I, I choose to leave. Never mind, she kicks me out. I, I choose to leave. What would happen at house then? Would I give her the house, or would I have to be bought out of the house?
3: It really and that's depends. a big question. <laughs> it is a big question, and there's, there's no there's no one answer when it comes to comes to finances, starting point always going to be to look at what you have, yes. actually, and to be open about what there is. So you've got a house, was your nan's house, was inherited, there's a bit of a flag there for me yeah. thinking about that already. Um, that could be an issue, something to, something to discuss. Um, but to look at what you've got. So we're talking about your houses, what's in your bank accounts, pensions, what your earnings are whether you've got any investments. And there are forms to kind of, that we fill out to help with all of this stuff. And then the next question is, what do we do with it? And the starting point has to be kind of, well, what are the needs if you and your wife have equal needs because you know, you're know you both gonna, the kids are gonna be with both of you an equalish amount of time. It doesn't have to be equal an equalish amount of time. Um, then you both have the same kind of housing need we look at stuff like what's your mortgage capacity what can we achieve with the assets that are there sometimes it's starting with right what can't we achieve putting that to a, to the side managing expectations and then looking at kind of what's left and what we can do but generally we start with a position of right what does some what what do these parents what does this couple need now, whether they're children or not actually but what yeah. do these people need and how are we going to achieve that so it might be that one of you keeps that house and another buys a a different house. It might be that one of you has to rent for a while. It might be that it gets sold and the equity gets split. There are loads of different ways of dealing with assets. And, you know, as as for children arrangements, really, the more that people can try and agree these these things, you tend to get better outcomes for families. um, And that's where kind of our involvement as well. We're not here to around money to make things difficult it's to try and work out what can be achieved and bringing everybody together to make the best for a family arrangement moving forward and, and that has to be in everybody's interests
0: and, and just with you and don't, don't, don't forget these are all just optical questions yeah and, but it's like say "Look, like, me and my wife we both paid the same amount of mortgage would I have more rights or would she have more rights? or Because I think that's where it becomes entitlement, doesn't it? Even though we've paid the same, it's, well, this was my Nanny Silver and Grandad Mike's. But that that's emotion, not business, isn't it?
3: it? It can be. Inheritance is a weird one, so I'm going to park that a little bit. if yeah. generally, if it's... If it's... If it's around a family home, generally you're looking at that family home being available for division to to, to the both of you, and it, it, you know, as I say, trying to trying to meet your uh, trying to meet your needs. Um, I've lost the train of thought now, which is uh, embarrassing I, to me on on live podcast.
4: But I <laughs> I think when it comes to, you know, if I paid X towards the mortgage, I paid I paid two thirds and you paid a third, and, yes. but I paid the gas bill that one yes. time, et cetera. The bottom line is you're married, you're building a home for your family through your joint endeavours. So to then look back on that and say, well, on the 23rd of March, 2019, I paid the whole mortgage that much, so I should have more equity. Mm. It, it doesn't work like that. It's about need, what the assets are. Through your combined efforts throughout the marriage,
3: we still, I mean, I still get asked this question. Thank you for picking that up. I still get asked this question a lot. You know, somebody that says, "Well, I I own the business. She's never put anything into it. Yep. You know, why should she get anything out of this now? Never done a hard day's work in her life. Mm. Be married for thirty years, and it's like, but but the contribution is eat is equal and it has been viewed as a matched contribution for years. When you marry and you say I do, you are entering into a partnership. It is a it is that kind of a contract. I think that element of marriage, that reality isn't actually well known Mm. but it does exist the financial claims and kind of when we're talking about dividing houses it all comes off the back of saying that you want to be married in the first place those claims exist because Mm. of your marriage and therefore your contribution for some people there will be an exceptional contribution but we're talking very 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 exceptional um by somebody um I was talking to a, a a Kings Council the other week he said oh you know 300 million pound contribution that that might be that the might difference. be special enough yeah.
1: mm-hmm. might
3: be um, so for the majority of people doesn't matter what you've done within that relationship paying the mortgage looking after the kids it's going to be viewed as you've you've had a proper contribution to that i think
2: uh, i think some people are cash class a contribution of just money as well mm. but it's not it's time so yeah. for you to be able to go and build that business or or spe- uh, put that money in to pay that mortgage what was the other person doing or sacrificing or carrying on to enable you to do that and go forward
3: that's right and it often comes around to a question about around pensions this is where we get asked it loads actually that you know often it can be the wife that doesn't have the biggest pension because the husband's been working she's had um, you know periods of maternity or whatever if they have children and the same argument goes um you know you're looking at a pension sharing order to even out the contributions that both of you were able to make during the during the term of the marriage um it's not it's not a science you know it, it, there is an art to it and you do have to kind yeah. of look at there are so many different factors to consider um
2: I'd never even considered a pension to be quite honest in terms of that would be uh, something you'd split because you you do feel like, not feel like, you do put, it comes out your wage and goes into that, it's like kind of a savings account that's in your name, you know, but it's right, it should be because you are both contributing to it in some way.
3: So there's the easier conversations to have with people that take that view, not not everybody does.
0: No, I can imagine. <laughs> and I imagine with, once again with separation, it's great if you just go, you know what, cheers for the last 20 years, but we've <laughs> put a lot of time because emotion's involved, isn't it? Mm. And emotion doesn't always make for logical thinking.
4: Very much
0: so. And that, that's <laughs> when it's hard, isn't it, because I, I was out with someone the other day and it he says, I didn't see it coming, Kev. I thought we were happy. Mm. And she's left me. And that's when it's that big boom moment. It hasn't been an affair. It hasn't been. It mm. was just, she doesn't love me anymore. I, I still love her. Mm. And then there's two two guys in that situation. One who goes, Soda, Let it go. <laughs> and there's other guy who can't let it go. Mm. And, you know, that's tough. Because your world has ended. Mm. And then once again, we don't know where we stand. Well, do, do I just give it a rock? I want it to be happy. She can have everything. I'll just move in with my with mum. And there's other people who are very spiteful and when well, if she doesn't want me, I'm going to ruin her.
4: Mm. Yeah. I think separation is a process and the way you feel on day one won't be the same as how you feel a month, two months, six mm. months, a year down the line. Mm. And I think that's why it's important when you're ready. Mm -hmm. as early as you can manage to have that conversation is to speak to somebody an expert who knows what they're talking Mm -hmm. about before you make any sort of rash decisions out of you know that in the scenario that you just gave oh do you know what just let her have it two months later three months later or more Mm -hmm. he might realize that was not necessarily the Mm -hmm. best decision but you know once the ink is dry on that order what's done is done mm-hmm. there's no reversing out of it and so it's it's a difficult door to open mm-hmm. and a, you know understandably so but i think the best piece of advice that i could give to anybody who's going through a separation divorce issues with their children is mm-hmm. get some advice don't wait until you know someone's hit the nuclear button or mm-hmm. the bomb's gone off or the horses butt, whatever analogy <laughs> is the situation best.
1: <laughs> get some
4: advice and start to think rationally okay what are the things that i can deal with here mm-hmm. that i think i could have a conversation with my partner about or you know trying to compartmentalize things and just work your way through them and take a look at each thing When you're ready, I say. do you know what? I think I could probably look at that. I think I could probably request my pension and just see what the position is. Or I think I might be able to sit down with them and say, would it be all right if the kids come to mind this weekend because my parents are visiting? Whatever the case may be, but don't sit on it. Get that early advice. Know what your rights are and your responsibilities. And then you can start to make some constructive decisions rather than trying to wade through it on your own blind without any guidance because often what happens is people become entrenched in their positions i want it my way i'm not doing it Mm -hmm. your way and then it just it all has become so bitter that we then have frankly a hell of a job Mm -hmm. (laughs) trying to sort it out once it's all got a bit it's gone a bit too far down the road sometimes and it can be very very difficult
0: i imagine that is difficult you know what we were saying earlier about like well, I'm mom, I'm dad, and when you feel like that's been taken away from us. Yeah. We, all, we all had a feeling of that uh, through the lockdown, didn't we? Yeah. Well, if I'm not a bricklayer, who am I? Yeah. And if I'm not a boxing coach, well, who am I? And once you, your identity is taken away, it's a very lonely place, isn't mm. it? Because you're thinking, well, I'm dad. It doesn't mean I can't be Kev as well. Mm. Or just because I'm mom doesn't mean I can't be a businesswoman as well. And mm. it's, it's that step into something, isn't it? but what else am I, if I'm not just this? Mm.
3: And I think it's a time, you know, with any with any break, if it's a time where there are just lots and lots of those questions at the same time, if you're not quite sure what's happening to the house, or you're not mm. quite sure what your hours of working are gonna be, or quite sure where the children are gonna be, it just um, makes those emotions and, and that kind of feeling of isolation and change mm. a whole lot bigger. I mm. mean, one of the first things that I do in, in I'd say every conversation, it's got to be the exception um, if I don't, is to encourage people to seek counselling services. Mm-hmm. So to go to their GP, talk about what they're going through, um, because you need that support around you. You know, you need your friends around, you you need a family around you. But actually, sometimes people also need that professional support where they can talk very openly about what those kind of feelings are and how it's affecting them. I mean, it's akin, we describe it as being akin to a bereavement process. Yes, I just that. And I think people, going through those, that process don't always realise that that's the roller coaster they're going to mm. be on. Um, to a greater or lesser extent, even with separations that are very amicable, there will be an element of that kind of loss and anger and change and you know, grief, uh, grief. Yeah. So at all one of those point things. You love that
0: person and at mm. one point you plan for a better tomorrow, it might just mm. not have never turned up. <laughs> you know what I mean? But at one stage, most of us, you know, because once again, there's always... and bad people but most people when you start that relationship you're starting for the right reasons yeah you're starting it we're gonna do this forever and ever (laughs) you know i mean that's what me my wife always say, ever and ever and and then for whatever reason it hasn't worked or someone has done something or circumstances haven't felt in your favor Mm -hmm. and and as i said i I think that's the hardest ones when you hear i thought we were all right and when you hear that you're thinking something's been going on for so long but we're a bliss to it sometimes under our own noses aren't we mm. you're not cuddling as much you're doing this you're doing that and then all of a sudden we're at to hit you in the face mm. and then what to do, do with it
3: you know again it's part of our initial conversation when we're talking about separation are there prospects of reconciliation here what what have you what have you done you know have you we refer people out to counselling services to see if there's you know anything left in a relationship it's not for everybody Mm -hmm. but we do always have to you know it's our responsibility to make sure that once you start that wheel of certainly divorce going that it's the right decision to make at the right time um you know both parties won't always be in the same place at the same time on that decision but you you want there to have at least been that um opportunity if there's any spark left in a relationship um but you're right it is it is very very difficult
2: What would so let's say two people separated, um, and one's now moved out, they're going through that divorce procedure, but maybe they have a joint bank account where all their money goes in from wages, whatever. Can would they be allowed to then still go into that bank account and go, Well, I've still got to live, so I need still need to pay bills, but it's a joint account. So, where you know, what would kind of happen in that situation?
3: I think it's one of those conversations that the only you can have it, as was saying, the better. And the more realistic and practical you can be about it, the better. So I would start with budgets, right? What, what do we, What's coming out of this account? What do we need to go into this account to cover our bills and all of the rest
2: of it? So if you had a mortgage between two people, you'd st- still both be liable for that mortgage payment as well wouldn't you
3: yes but it's not always the case that both people continue to contribute to the mortgage um so again it's reason it's it's a good reason to have that kind of very practical conversation if you can manage to do it otherwise you know Mm. these are conversations that we start off with Mm. you know whilst we're going through this very rocky very uncertain bit very emotional bit what can we do to keep things the same what agreements have we got you know, what money's coming in to make sure that nobody feels like there's a loss of security or that they feel vulnerable. Um, And these are the kind of very early, early stage conversations that people can have between them, you know, following a separation, to be very practical about it.
0: So I've heard of like some of my friends and it's like, well, I've moved out Kev. I'm paying for my new digs, paying for all my bills, but I'm still paying off the mortgage for my kids to live in the family house. Yeah. And is that common, is is there a way to protect someone from that? It it
3: is, it is common, Mm. it is, um, yeah, you know, there are plenty of people that are struggling to keep two households going, and the answer is that you have to try and encourage there to be a conversation about the wider financial position as soon as possible, um, because that kind of outlaw, and let's face it at the moment, for the majority of people, cannot keep happening um it's really difficult we have some people who put themselves into you know even more difficult financial circumstances because they're doing just that Um, and it's where you want to either try and you know look at mediation as an option to start having these discussions if you don't want to go down a you know lawyer-led route so use a mediator to start having those very practical discussions. Use lawyers to start having those discussions. If somebody won't engage with you, you might have to look at court proceedings because the longer it goes on, sometimes the more difficult it can be to undo the position you've put yourself in.
4: I I was just about to say that um, from a sort of strategic lawyer standpoint, the difficulty with, if a position becomes entrenched or it's established over time, the person who is benefiting mm. from that is then able to rely on what we call, you know, the status quo position. Well, this is working. Why should we change it? And that's true of financial mm. arrangements, arrangements for children. And so you're automatically, if you then decide you want to change that and do something different, you're automatically on the back foot because you're arguing, well, why? Why do we need to change things now? Why is that better? Who does it benefit? And so that again. It's so important to get that advice early on mm. before you back yourself into these kind of mm. corners where you're, you know, in that situation, you're paying for your own place and all the bills, but you're also funding a mortgage. And before you know it, you've put yourself in a position of real financial hardship. Mm.
0: And then all of a sudden, I don't know, you fall off a ladder and you can't go to work. Yeah. Then you're falling behind on two lots of bills. Mm. And that's a, that's a hard place to be in is isn't it? Because... Mm. You've lost everything you can't provide and you feel like a bad person hmm. when you're already doing too much anyway and as you say that well you've got to get a job because the bills need paying for or uh, our daughter needs shoes yeah. i'm struggling myself here it's hard isn't it and as you say as that that status quo i'm comfortable because another question i was gonna ask you um is like with child maintenance and stuff like that because I know so many people who have done it, like, well, I'll just give her or him, you know, so-and-so a month. Then all of a sudden, there's no paper trail of doing it. Mm-hmm. Then you look like a deadbeat because you haven't done anything. So would you kind of have something like that in paper or a paper trail of some description? Or
4: I would, at the very least, what I usually say to clients is if you're sending money by bank transfer, Mm. then you put the reference on the transfer as child maintenance or money for the kids, whatever the case yeah. may be, just something so it can show up on a bank statement that you say that's what it's been sent for. Mm. Um, because it is difficult, you know, some all these sorts of things, then become or can become issues later mm. down the road, where you know people claim they haven't had any maintenance or they weren't paying enough maintenance. So something simple like that, putting a reference that says what you're sending the money for, can bottom that out and deal with that quite quickly. Well, here's here's the statement with all of the references: maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. Mm. Equally, I'd encourage people to put child maintenance so it can't Thank be
3: you. argued that it's actually spousal <laughs> awesome maintenance spousal maintenance is the payment from a higher earner to a lower earner to even out the difference in incomes so sometimes it can be for a period of time to allow for a adjustment so your example of you know one spouse doesn't work and the other one might need to pay part of their income just for the benefit of the spouse to yeah. kind of make that a bit easier um Worst case scenarios, it can be for the rest of joint lives. So these are quite, um, quite important orders to be aware of. I was going to say just around um, kind of the payment of things, some of the most amicable and smooth divorces I've had are from people that come to me even before separation and say, I'm thinking about separating. Mm-hmm. I know that this is going to be really difficult for my spouse. I need to know what I need to do. I need to know how I can make this easier. I need to know the conversations I need to have. I need to know what they might say in response to this. And they're so well prepared that, you know, there's not a lot that can really rock them. They're then sort of able to deal with the emotional fallout of the relationship breakdown, but they've had the information, they've put the stuff into place, they know what they're doing. They know what words to offer to provide some more certainty or comfort or security or whatever it needs to be. But they also know their boundaries around those things. So um, it's something that actually, again, people might not know that lawyers do that. But we do talk to a lot of people pre-separation when they're thinking the relationship's over.
4: Absolutely. You don't have to be served with court papers and then you go and see a lawyer. No, not at all. You know, the the as I've said, and I can't stress it enough and I'll stress it again, the earlier you can get advice, the better.
0: And sometimes you might get the advice and thinking, no. Hmm. You know what I mean? Sometimes, because you, you have these impulsive things and you might get all this thinking going, well, it's not as bad as I thought. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she does me head in, but <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth all this. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
4: Some people might decide that actually it's better to be in than out. Um and yeah. you know, that's fine too. It's about making choices oh. and informed decisions. Informed knowing, decisions. Yeah, knowing what your options are.
0: Um, you know, look, like, because I I was laughing about this the other day. Because you don't have the marriages, the weddings that you they used to. I i was, that's say my CF now is it, a funeral. used <laughs> we so used to at a wedding. Or to a or you, know, you know, just She's showing like, your age, really. <laughs> but I, I, I've, I've been to like a couple this year, I was like, bloody hell. And, and, but, oh, but I've got friends who've been with their partners for 20, 30 years. But like, marriage isn't as popular as it used to be. Hmm. To someone who isn't married, but has been with a partner for 20, 30, 100 years, have they still got the same amount of rights as someone who is married?
4: No. In in what respect? About money.
2: Money, um, children. Children, children,
4: children, and... children yes. I mm. do. They have the same rights. There's no difference whether you're married or unmarried.
2: And that's really important to get across, isn't it? To yeah. especially gentlemen, there's no difference at all.
4: If you if you have parental responsibility, then you have the exact same rights, whether you're married, or unmarried, living separately, living together, doesn't make a difference. Your legal rights
2: are the same. So I imagine that's a big shock. Yeah, I so, think that it so was it, to me when you said it earlier. Because
0: even if my name isn't on the, 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 the uh, birth certificate, birth yeah. but we all know that's my baby DNA, mm-hmm. so you've got as much right as if you were married to your partner?
4: So, uh, well, you would need to acquire parental responsibility, hmm. which either can be done by agreement with the mother and putting your name on the birth certificate later on,
1: Yeah.
4: or by court order essentially that there, there are some yeah uh what's the details other details around that but to put it in a nutshell you've either got it or you can acquire it yes and so if you've got it you already do have the same legal rights and once you acquire it you've got the same legal rights there are no degrees of parental responsibility from a legal standpoint they are the same In every single way, the only difference is mother's parental responsibility is automatic; father's has to be acquired.
0: So I've known a lot of people once again who the the relationship is broke, and they haven't been able to see the child. And I'm thinking, as long as there's no physical harm to the mother or the child, Mm -hmm. no one's a deviant, or no one's whatever, Mm -hmm. then they should have the same right to be able to every agreed upon days mm. have a relationship with their child and all parents
4: yeah mm. absolutely and, and wider family too because when yeah, parents separate room. it's not just necessarily the loss of one parent mm. if there is a complete fracturing of the parental relationship and they can no longer tolerate even being in the same room as each other or yeah. handing over the kids or working together to at least ensure the children are still seeing the other parent they're also losing as i said before grandparents aunts uncles cousins all of that you know it has a real knock on effect and i think the way in which i try and approach this is from the angle of the child rather than the parents Mm. so one of the things i hear a lot from parents is my time my weekend my my week yeah during the holidays and it's It's not, it's the child's weekend Mm with that parent, it's the child's opportunity to take a holiday with that parent and to kind of take away that those sort of possessive, that possessive language Mm. um, when talking about children, actually then opens up, I find a different way of looking at this, which is through the eyes of the child, which is ultimately what this is all about. Because, okay, you might be mad at dad or mad at mom and you think in that moment, I know what will hurt them. I'm not going to let them see the kids. I'm not going to let them take the kids to Disneyland like I said I would before. You know, I'm not going to let them take them on that holiday or to that wedding or whatever the case may Mm. be. But if they just stopped for a moment and took a step back and just asked themselves, but they were that little boy or girl was so excited about that, why would you take that away from them? Just You think you're hurting the other person, but you're not. All mm. you're doing is hurting the kids.
0: I think that gets lost sometimes. It does.
4: It? it really does. And I think as, as the person who stands back and sees a lot of this happening, it's really sad. Really, really sad. Because I don't think anybody, I don't think I've legitimately come across more than the number of people I could count on one hand that do this on purpose. Mm. It's always subconsciously done or unintentionally done through anger, resentment. Mm. And it's, it's really, really sad because actually, there are parents who I've seen who have come through a separation or a divorce really successfully shielding and protecting the children from this. Mm. And it starts with reassuring mm. the kids, yes, we're separating or yes, we're getting divorced, but this will not affect the way we feel about you or the time you'll get to see, you will still get to see both of us.
2: And having routine around that as absolutely. well.
4: absolutely. Absolutely, and you know what works for one child won't necessarily work for another, so some parents are able to successfully go from living in the same home relatively quickly to equal time. You know some parents can do that in other situations. it might be the case that the parents have to move quite far apart from one another for various reasons, financial jobs etc, and so fifty fifty isn't going to work but they are able to agree, let's say, alternate weekends, and the parent um, who's moved away is able to spend a little bit more time during the holidays with the children. What works for one family won't necessarily work for another. But at the end of the day, I think if anybody's listening who has been in a situation where time has been removed with their children in in retaliation for something, um, Or or anyone's listening who is willing to admit that they might have done that themselves. Think about the impact on the children, because that's all that really matters at the end of the day. You know, the parents are there to protect the kids. And I think that's probably, if I could, the most powerful message I could deliver is ultimately look at it through the eyes of your kids.
2: And and they're, they're sorry, got, not weapons. On that, note, to, yeah. that, that one parent saying you can't come and see your children where would that father stand if he just turned or, or mother mm. just turned up at school and said i'm taking you with me where you know because you've got no doubt happens yeah it does happen um
4: lots of things can happen in that situation um it depends on the school mm. ultimately from a legal standpoint there's nothing stopping that parent if they've got parental responsibility from collecting the child and, and taking them. You know, they've got parental responsibility, mm. legal rights, off they go. I
2: don't condone doing that, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> was, saying that it's kind of- I was of... gonna say, it's
4: not necessarily the best way to approach things because mm. if you've, let's say, it's dad who's turned up to collect and he said to mom, can I pick up Sarah from school? And she said, no, she's got the dentist or she's got gymnastics or whatever, and you go and do it anyway. It's a red rag to a bull, you know it mm. is. It's only gonna go one way. Mm. And it it I know because I see it all the time, it'll be that's it, you're not collecting again.
0: Yeah.
4: You're not having them this weekend, I can't trust you, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. In terms of what the school would do juries out on that one different schools do different things some schools won't intervene and they'll just say it's nothing to do with us you know there's no safeguarding issue off you go other schools might call the police might call the other parent and ask them to come down and refuse to release the child until the other parents Mm. there and they've said you two
3: sort it out between the two of you we're not getting in the
4: middle of this Mm. worst case scenario um, is someone could apply for an injunction against the other called a non-molestation order to prevent them from going near the kids' school. I mean, that is a sledgehammer to crack a nut type mm-hmm. situation. Um, those
2: injunctions should only be applied for in the rarest of circumstances. But legally, legally saying there's no parent can turn around on either side and say, you're not seeing your kids.
1: No.
0: Unless abuse or- the,
4: Well, or yes, but- uh, If we put that aside and we imagine there are no safeguarding issues at yeah. all, legally, no but they do Mm. and it would be wrong to get into a situation where you're having a tug of war over the child on the doorstep Mm -hmm. or at the school Mm -hmm. showing them up in front of their friends and the other parents you know so legally no but in reality it is quite relatively easy to put those boundaries in the way and I think a lot of fathers in particular think they have to accept that because they're Mm. not aware that actually neither of you get to dictate to the other on this you either agree or if you can't agree then you need to try mediation or something similar some form of um process where somebody can sit down and try and talk the parents through this or the worst case scenario and the absolute last resort is with a court application
0: because you know that what did you say uh, the order but
4: non-molestation order.
0: So, if that could you explain what that is, please?
4: Yes. So, a non-molestation order is an injunction. So, it's a it's a civil remedy for um, somebody who is being harassed, be it directly, threatened, um, indirectly, or directly over social media, text message, email, or to your face, coming to your property when it's unwanted. Um, turning up at the children's schools and causing problems, etc. Um, you can apply for a non-molestation order to prevent that person from doing those things. So, for example, a non-molestation order might say that you're not allowed within 50 metres of this person's house, you're not allowed to use threatening and abusive language towards them, um, you're not allowed to contact them by any means. And it's, it's a time-limited order, so it's not just in place forever. Mm-hmm. It will be in, on a time-limited basis, and it's designed to protect somebody from unwanted behaviour.
3: And, and if that order's breached, the mm-hmm. person that breaches it can then be arrested for the yeah. breach that it becomes a criminal um,
0: issue. We've done shows on this before about domestic abuse, and what isn't often talked about is domestic abuse happens on both sides. Mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of men who've been domestically abused, but it's like, I believe the law only changed over a year that was that they would always arrest the man. It's like, well, if, if she's out to you with the iron, what did you do to make her hit you? Mm. And that's criminal. Because I've heard about horrible scenarios where the woman has made the man's life, turning up while he's been working on the road and mm. tormenting him and abusing him and basically stalking him. But a lot of the time, it's, you know, it's it's a woman. What are you going to do? Mm. But you haven't got to tolerate that because... That is wrong on any side of the coin, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, and our colleague Karen Gray, she specialises in cases where there's domestic abuse. So I mean, hopefully everybody can see we work quite collaboratively as a team, sort of crossing over, you know, with what each other do. We work on a lot of cases together. Um, Karen deals with cases where there's an element of domestic abuse, so whether that's because the initial instruction has been about finances and we find that there's been financial abuse or this mm. physical abuse or emotional mm. abuse whatever it is her expertise in that and her connections with local um, charities and refuges are, are, you know, are just absolutely fantastic but it, you're right it does it does go both ways it cannot be ignored whichever way it is certainly that's not something that you're going to hear from us you know it's, it's a woman you can't do anything it's just not acceptable abuse is, is never going to be acceptable um, and you know we're going to be the first people to say Say that, that behavior has to stop and here are things that you can do about it here are some options mm. you know really practical things not just sort of legal remedies but you know we we have these conversations more frequently than i think we would like to and you know would like to be having them
0: With a mm. molestation order if i said that right
3: non molestation order
0: do you find that mainly or do you find both parties apply for that and do you think both parties get it as easy as the other one does
4: I find, are you asking if it's mainly men or women who apply for? it Yes, that? and is it easy for a
0: man to put it onto a woman or is it easy for a woman it, or it is shouldn't:
4: It common. shouldn't make a difference. The, the test is whether or not it's necessary because it there's an immediate risk of harm, and it shouldn't matter whether it's a man or a woman that's applying for it. It's a form of self-help, so you don't necessarily need for there to have been. Criminal proceedings or police involvement in order to apply for this order, albeit it would increase the the prospects of succeeding in getting that order made by the court if you did. But in terms of, you know, whether there's a a greater prospect or a lesser prospect of getting an order like that because you're a man, I would say absolutely not. It comes down to the behaviour at the end of the day um and if you need protecting from somebody it doesn't matter if you're a man or a
2: woman would would that have a knock on effect in terms of you seeing a child child if there's one in place yes yeah so it it kind of stops yeah. all contact
4: this this is something that i'm actually raising at the moment um with the West Midlands private law committee which is that i'm increasingly seeing non-molestation orders being applied for and granted and then being treated as a you know, a sort of quasi no contact order when it comes to children. It is not a no contact order. It's a non-molestation order designed to regulate the behaviour. From one party to another. But what I see a lot of is that it's then relied on well, you can't see the children because I've got this non molestation order and it says you can't contact me, you can't do this, you can't do that. But actually, if you read what these orders say, they should say if there are children involved, you're not to contact the other person by these means, other than for the purposes of arranging contact for the children. I saw an order recently that didn't say that. Hmm. And it should.
0: So, I'm trying to explain. Say, me and my wife, uh, could I then phone my daughter if my daughter had her own phone? Or yes. would you have to go put a grandparent and say, no. well, you've got to go to Nanny so we can meet? Yeah,
4: if they ha- if your child has their own phone and there's a non molestation order in place, I'm going to keep calling it a non mole That's yeah. the shortened <laughs> version. Um, if there's a non mol in place, yes. um, and it, that is not prohibited by the order, then yeah. yes, you can. That's not a breach.
3: I, it should I think say. if anybody has them and you're not sure what it means, mm. it's best just to get it checked yeah, out you because, you know, if you're in breach, you're then in breach. And, yes, you know, yeah. it's just better for the sake mm. of it saying somebody, I was just you're thinking, not yeah. sure what does this actually mean, yeah. what can I do, what can I not do, mm. um, and to understand how that, you know, interacts with with your relationship and, and um, arrangements to see, to see children.
0: You're saying before we're saying a bit like a marriage, uh, a marriage and a a relationship. And you're saying if we're not married but we've been together for 20, 30, 100 years, my relationship, my child doesn't change, but if we're not married, the the pension and the house will change.
3: Money is different, money is different for for people that um, have lived together and that haven't been married the protections the range of orders that are available are much much more limited there's just not the same um, not the same um, uh, arrangements for uh, around money so you're looking at ownership of property you're looking mm-hmm. at you know, what's in joint names what's in separate names generally speaking and again you know it's always a case for taking advice but generally speaking if you've got things that are in your names they are yours if you've got things that are in joint names we have to look at the type of ownership but there are some really really complicated legal arguments to try and shift those things Mm. and that some people try and run those so it, it can get very very it can get very messy when you haven't been married, actually, because there's not that legal framework around in- entitlement, for want of a better
0: word. it's more down to, well, I've paid the mortgage, but I bought the settee?
3: That's right. It, it, can, it can do. And if you imagine, you know, needing to go through 30 yeah. years worth of bank statements <laughs> to say, oh, gosh, what actually did you contribute? And that's where contribution can become a much more relevant factor, actually, mm. um, at the end of a cohabiting relationship. Um,
2: so you're better so- off married. <laughs>
3: For some people, it's a better. So if you're going to get divorced, yeah, <laughs> mean, I think it's 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 another side of what what I do actually, and that is the wealth protection side of things. So mm. for anybody that's going to start living with somebody, and if you're putting in unmatched contributions, if you're buying a property cohabitation agreement. We have, you know, as I said earlier, we've been acting for generations and generations of families. So we see classically parents giving one of their children some money to get them on the property ladder. um, And, you know, they move in with their boyfriend, girlfriend, and they split up and, you know, it, there's nothing protected. The parents don't get the money back or they've, um, you know, just owned the property. They haven't put certain documents in place to try and protect that initial capital outlay and cohabitation agreements, declarations of trusts, quite easy documents to put into place to protect any wealth that you're introducing into a relationship. Same thing for nuptial agreements, actually. But... Um, so before you get married, anybody that's got a wealth, a business, um, kind of inheritance prospect should at least consider these types of agreements to regulate what would happen in the event of a divorce.
0: Because you go into a relationship and you don't think, well, I love you, but, you know, if you don't work out, you won't have nothing. <laughs> it, it, it's a hard conversation because as a relationship starts, you you picture forever, don't you? You do. But you've got, if you are, worth a bob or two. <laughs> or if it has been passed so down
4: somebody had a great response to this actually and i can't remember who it was but we were having this conversation the other day about whether prenuptial agreements so agreeing what you're going to do with the money before you get married is really unromantic Mm. and somebody said it might have been phil actually said something like what's more romantic than letting somebody know that you're marrying them for them and not their money yeah Hmm. and i thought that's that's very a really good way of putting it there. and i never looked at it that way was you know i'm in it for for you you and not because i'm seeing pound
3: signs i think there is that i mean you're right it's a tricky conversation um you know again we work with quite a lot of people nice and early on to sort of to start introducing that and it's you know it's one of those things where the earlier you can make it about the wealth protection rather than the person that you're in a relationship with, it becomes a whole lot easier. Like mm-hmm. if you can say to somebody, well, you know, this is what my family's expectation is. It could be you or it could be anybody else, but this is what needs to happen. It's then not about the individual. It's not about that particular relationship. It's just acknowledging the you know, a lot of marriages end in divorce and you do have an opportunity using mutual agreements to try and take some control, more control when you're in a happy place over what should happen. And so that if a relationship does break down, again, you know, going back to emotions, you can focus on those emotions. You don't have the added heartache and concern about, you know, who's going to get the house or what's going to happen to the inheritance that we've had or or whatever that is. There are things that people can do.
0: My family, my grandparents were so hard to build this. That's it, Mm.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. So
0: in their memory, can we leave that solid? And if something does happen, the children will always be looked after, but it, exactly. not yourself. Say. but I've, I've got to ask it as well for people who listen. Like, you know, with like se- same-sex marriages, when they when they break up, as you know, like because obviously it's like in that stereotypical mother and husband role. uh Like, say it's two men or two women who have been married, they have the same rights as a heterosexual couple and? it's changed though, that people can get married but they should have the same rights to see their children shouldn't they mm-hmm.
3: does that oh, make first. sense I mean, in terms of finances the, in,
0: in finances the, and in, the in and,
3: and yeah in terms of finances they're exactly the, the, the same um, legislation that works whatever the relationship is so it's very, very easy from finances and I think you'll say the same thing
4: yeah from the children there's no difference at all um, the only difference is again, a question of parental responsibility. Mm-hmm. Has the other So if you've got a situation in which, let's say, for argument's sake, there's two birth mums, yeah. but one is biological birth mum yeah. and the other is not, yeah. then it's about checking first that mm-hmm. the, the mother who was not the biological birth mother has acquired the parental responsibility. But again, even if that's not the case, or with two fathers, if that's not the case, it doesn't mean that you can't then get it and and apply for pr in the same way that you would um in any other situation Mm. surrogacy is a bit more difficult that would be opening up an entirely different kind of worms (laughs) that's quite a lengthy conversation in of itself um but again if anybody's listening and and is in that scenario where they're considering surrogacy for example Mm. i'm happy for them to to contact me and i can talk them through that separately as well
0: i think once again i've said it ever since i it is so different to keep logic and emotion separate isn't it but well, if there are children involved try to realize just because your relationship with your partner has ended you've still got a relationship with that child and that should be sacred shouldn't it on all three parties or mm-hmm. as many parties are in the uh, in the mix mm-hmm. and you know because you don't love that person as long as you're alive and that child's alive hopefully there can be some form of relationship
4: absolutely and i think you know, something that I ask clients is you, you're going to be involved with this person for the rest of your life because mm. you've got children mm. together. Do you really want to be the subject of a conversation by one of your kids where they're saying to their future husband, wife, what are we going to do about my parents at our wedding? Because they're just awful. I can't have them in the same room. I don't want them sat at the top table together. You know, all these horrible conversations because they just can't behave themselves. It's embarrassing. You know, do you really want to be the subject of those conversations? It doesn't need to be that way. You know, it really, really doesn't. And it's about being able to recognise sometimes that perhaps the way you're behaving now is not the way you would have behaved had the marriage not have or the mm. relationship broken down and at the end of the day is what you're doing now going to make your children happy in the short or long term or yourself it, it will quite yourself, and if yeah. the answer to that if you're really honest with yourself is no it's not too late to stop and do things differently mm. it's never too late to turn these things around but the bottom line is i think if you asked percent of children what they wanted the first thing they say is i want mum and dad to get back together or mum and mum or dad and dad i want my parents back together as adults we know that's not possible in most cases but that's what they'll say very childlike response i want them to get back together and so what's the next best thing and it's down to the parents to make that happen for them they deserve nothing less Mm -hmm. and it is possible to do it and to do it really well as long as everyone's prepared to just park the anger and put it somewhere else to make the right decisions for their kids
0: so last thoughts in girls before i ask you to name me a quote or a saying (laughs) last thoughts what would you say like Mm -hmm. for anyone out there who's in the mix of it or they if they're in the mix or they're seeing the writings on the wall (laughs) you know
2: what would you you give i don't
4: know this might be a bit um too philosophical, but I might take one from Sinead O'Connor yeah. recently, um, which I saw in a documentary about her after she passed away, which was, uh, they tried to bury me, they didn't know I was a seed.
0: Oh, beautiful. <laughs> what, a, what a tragic, what a tragic, <laughs> what a tragic, what a tragic, what loss she <laughs> yeah, yeah, has. I'll go with
3: that That <laughs> documentary. I'll go with the classic one, (laughs) honesty is the best policy, because I think whatever you're doing, whatever walk of life you're in, whether you're coming to see a lawyer about child arrangements or divorce, whether you're having a conversation with your spouse and saying this is... This is the end of the road. Mm. You can't go too far wrong if you're just honest. Mm. It might be really hurtful, but it's always the best way. Um, and we can do stuff with honesty. As lawyers, we can do things with honesty. So that would be mine. I can't attribute it to anybody <laughs> or a documentary. <laughs> but
0: that would be mine. Well, girls, thank you so much for coming on.
3: Thank you for, thank having, you us.
0: for having us. Now, next anyway. week we're joined by Peter Upton, uh, Mad Pete from the Priory great friend uh, one of my best friends in boxing he's going to come talk about his life and beating cancer so i look forward to catching up with the old pal well guys until we see each other next time i want you all to take care of yourselves and each other throughout a bit
1: listen, listen listen
0: and that's a wrap for another show but if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast please be in touch there are also lots of different organizations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, Tarabit. Listen, listen,
1: listen.